All right, that was, that's cool, right? That's good stuff. Um, let me tell you, uh, if if you're here, if you're new here, if you're a few weeks old here, um, if you've never uh, come to connection before, you don't know, you didn't even know we were a church plant. You're like, oh, that's weird. I didn't know that. But surprise. So <laughs> pretty pretty soon, what you're going to see is um, you'll over the next year, year and a half, you'll start seeing uh, us become more and more of our own entity as a church, becoming autonomous. And what it looks like is we look through Acts, we look through First Timothy, we look through Titus. As, as a group of pastors, we started understanding that the, that the, the structure that we see in the New Testament is, is local leadership in the local church. Because we started understanding that someone in Statesboro would have a hard time leading someone in Pooler or leading someone in Vidalia or Millen or Dublin. And so what that looks like is instead of um, one campus planning other campuses, we're going to have five campuses that are going to be planning campuses together as a team. And it's going to be planning campuses that are planning campuses. Because what that looks like in Scripture is we're looking at it in a, in a Matthew 28 format. Is, is a, a disciple of Jesus is not a, a successful disciple until that person is making another disciple. And so as a church, we want to be a church that's planning churches that's planning churches, right? And so what it's going to do is it's going to let us have some freedom to be able to do what God's calling us to do as a campus. And I think that's really cool. It's something we should be excited about as a campus because we're going to be um, seeing some of you guys become leaders, become elders, become deacons, become people in our church that is going to serve our church faithfully as we see in Scripture. And so that's what it's about. And so... Um, it's something to be excited about. As, as we've been reading uh, through Scripture and talking together, um, to be honest with you, that's what I said in the video, it kind of freaked me out. I was like, bro, we're only eight months old. Relax on this stuff, you know. And so but as, as we kind of got talking through some stuff, it really, uh, it, really sh it really calmed my nerves a little bit, and it calmed some of our staff's nerves a little bit to understand that this, is, this, this separation is not a separation. It's a, it's a more of a moving to a place where we're a team. And um, it's not even going to be anything for us until probably another year. And so you'll start seeing that kind of happen in about a year. So um, it's something to be excited about. It's something to be praying about. It's something for you guys to be invested in. And, and now more than ever, we need our church, you guys, to be invested in the mission and the vision and be involved in serving and giving and going, involved in connect groups, because that's how we want to see our church grow and thrive and be able to reach our city and reach, our na reach the nations for the gospel. So y'all on board? Okay, good. Awesome. So if you're new here this morning, uh, my name is Michael Page. I am um, the campus pastor here. Um, welcome. Um, I'm glad you're here. You're the reason why we do what we do here at this church, because we want to reach the people in our community who are looking for a relationship with Jesus, and we want to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus. And we believe that is a very specific thing. It's not something that you can do unintentionally. You have to take next steps to follow Jesus. You have to take your next step of obedience to follow him, whether that's salvation, whether that's baptism, whether that's a connect group, whether that's uh, it, um, anything that, that God is calling you to do. And so I, I just want to say that I'm, I'm beyond excited. If you can look around um, this room, and there's a few people in this room can tell you, a, a month ago, this room looked nothing like this room. Okay, and so um, God's doing a lot of cool things in this church, man. He's moving, he's moving in us in a direction that's, is, that's creating influence in this community, but it's also creating influence, um, little flickers of light around the globe we're able to reach, we're able to touch lives for the gospel because that's what we're, that's what we're after. You know, it's amazing getting to hear the, the testimonies in connect groups um, in, our, in our connection kids' classrooms and in in homes of people um, coming, to the, coming to Jesus who are making incredible life changes in obedience to what God is calling them to do as people. And I believe with all my heart, and I know people around this room believe with all their heart as we can continue to seek God, to, to seek Jesus with all of our hearts, 
that, and, and to do his will, that we'll continue to see great moves of God in this place. I really do believe that. And I'm excited about what the future holds. And I believe if we continuously, continuously, continuously honor him with our first and our best, and, and as we always, always, always use our time, our treasure, and our talent to see his kingdom built on earth, as he laid it out in Scripture, we'll continuously see his hand move. Because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a perfect equation in Scripture. If we, if we follow him, if we obey his commands, we, if, we, if we follow his leading, we'll see his, we'll see his hand move in this place. And so don't just come to church, man. Don't, our culture has taught us to come and to receive something and go home. But don't just come to this place. Invest. Invest in this place. Give. Serve. Go. Get plugged in. That's how we're going to reach the nations. That's how we're going to reach people who are lost, who are broken, who are hurting. And that's how we're going to do it better together. And so don't waste your time coming in here and warming a seat. Because that's, that's a waste of your time. And that's, it's, 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 it's pointless for you to do that because it means you've missed the whole point if that's all you're doing. And so my question for you this morning as we begin is, have you come into this place this morning? For, I know there's many different scenarios of why you're here. But have you come in this place this morning expecting for God to move? Have you, have you come to this place this morning expecting God to, to, to speak to you through Scripture or through, through a word? Or have, you, have, you, have you come expecting something or are you just coming to, to the thing that you do on Sundays? Or do, do you go to your connect groups during the week or your small groups? If you're at another church, the places you go in Sunday school, wherever it looks, are you anticipating what God might do? Because as I read scriptures, I read Acts, I read about Paul, and I read about Peter and Timothy and Titus and all these guys, Barnabas, and all these guys that are just, they're being led by the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like they're just kind of being pushed along in life. It's like they don't even have control over it. They're just, they, they listen to the Holy Spirit, they do what he says, and miracles are happening. They listen to the Holy Spirit, they do what he says, and lives are being changed. 3,000 people were coming to Christ at one time. Healings were happening, miracles off the charts. It's amazing. And what I want to tell you this morning is we're not... We're not so far gone that that can't happen here. And so my question is, how, how, much, how much surrender have you turned over to? How much of your life have you turned over to Jesus? And so this morning, as we talk about distraction, I want to pray for us, and then I want to jump in. So let's pray. God, I love you. I praise your holy name, God. You're the, you're the giver of all things. You're the only one in all the earth and all the universe that deserves any kind of glory, any kind of praise. So, Father, we give that to you this morning freely. God, we love you. I pray, God, that for every heart in this room, I pray that the walls and the chains of people's hearts would fall off this morning, God, that we would hear them, God, that we would see God, your, your move in people's hearts this morning, that you, would, that you would just speak to someone this morning right now, God, that just, would, that just needs you. God, that, that somebody would say, I would never do this, that would just need you. God, please move. God, we love you. I pray that you would speak through your word, God. God, it's about you. It's not about me. It's not about any person in this room. It's about you. We love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right. So today we're going to start a three-week series. As you, if, you, if you can read, if you can, I'll read it for you. It says death by distraction on the screen. That's where we're going. That's the series we're starting for the next three weeks. And what I, as I was praying through what we should do as a church why, and where God was leading us, as I was praying through some of our other pastors, and what I've started learning is that I feel like um, the enemy, you look in John chapter 10, the enemy, it said, Jesus says, the enemy has come to do what? To kill, to steal, and to destroy right? And so what that tells me, if I'm, in a, if I'm in battle, if I'm in the army, if I'm in the military at some point, and I know my enemy is after me to, get, to, to kill me, to, to steal from me, and to destroy me or my life, I, I know that I have to be on guard. I have to, my eyes and my mind have to be focused. I cannot have any kind of distractions around me because what's going to happen? He's going to kill, he's going to steal, and he's going to destroy. 
That's what's going to happen. And so this morning, as we're, as we're going through this, what he wants to do is he wants to, to, to destroy your influence. He wants to destroy and to steal your joy. He wants to kill your influence in your life that, that God wants to use for the gospel, for the kingdom to be built. He wants to destroy those things. And we have to understand, you know, we, I love grace, I love mercy, I love Jesus, but I understand we have to know our enemy to be able to fight our enemy, to be able to depend on the Holy Spirit to, to fight for us in those moments. And so as we're reading this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10, because my heart this morning is we would have a, an effectiveness in this church that would far surpass anything we've ever seen or imagined, that we would be effective in making disciples. We'd be effective in reaching the nations. We'd be effective in reaching the lost, hurting, and lonely in our community. And so what, what that's going to look like is that we're focused. We're laser-focused on the gospel. This morning, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Some of you may know this story, but we're going to read it really quick, and we're going to kind of, kind, of, kind of apply it to our lives a little bit and kind of see where we stand on some of the stuff. It says this. Everybody there? If you're there, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Got some of you. All right, here we go. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was distracted by a good thing. It has to be done. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, 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 Martha. The Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, Mary, has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And I think it's safe to say, guys, in our society, in our culture, it deals with more distractions than any culture in history, I feel like. Um, there's Maybe, but, but listen, most of us feel like we're constantly being pulled in all these different directions. Stop, am, am I right? We always feel like there's something else to do. We're, we're constantly pulled this way or that way. Other, other people, family, friends, kids, wives, husbands, like they out, they, they're pulling for our attention, coworkers, work. And I feel, I, I feel pretty certain that, that as, as I get older, I get more people having more expectations of what I should be doing. Right? They, they expect more out of me they over here, over here, over here, and it's all big things. The next thing is like, what, what about the little thing you have in your hand right now, cell phone? That thing gets you, man. That's like, it's a, it's, a, it's a big one. I feel like that's the single most distracting invention that ever has been invented is a cell phone. And I tell you what, and it, it, gets, it gets everybody. It gets me. I'm off, my wife will tell you I'm the worst. Like, I'll be feeding my babies, and I'm like, let's look through Facebook. No, it's, t- it's terrible, and I'll stop. Like, what am I doing? You know, it's, it's bad. And so, listen, it gives everybody in this room, everybody around the world, instant access to any information that you desire at any point. How distracting is that? That's crazy, bro. I'm not, I, don't, I don't want that kind of knowledge. I just want to just, I want to live in my bubble, you know? You know it, it quite often interrupts some of the most important parts of your life, like your, your quiet time, your, your, your time with Jesus. Like, if we, we shared our... Uh, our app earlier for you guys to be able to read our reading plan. But if you guys use the app on your phone, you better turn off your notifications, right? Because if you don't turn off your notifications, you're going to get assaulted by news story after news story, after news feed, after Instagram post, after text message. If not, you'll, you'll sit down to dive into God's word and 20 minutes later, you're going to be reading about the top five most bizarre things that Justin Bieber did on his honeymoon. And that's not what we're called to do as, as, we're, as we're spending time in the word, man. But that's what happens. 
Tony Reinke um, is, a, is an author. He wrote a book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Write that down. You need to read it if you're a reader. 12 Ways That Your Phone is Changing You. He wrote a, It's an awesome book. And he says the average person checks their phone, listen to this, 81,500 times each year. A lot of times. I might have done it this week. That, that kind of translates to every 4.3 minutes of your life you check your phone. Every 4.3 minutes. That's an average person. I know some of you guys probably still have a flip phone. You're like, what's he even talking about? What's a smartphone? I'm not talking to you, okay? Which means that most of you guys are going to check your phone eight more times before this sermon's even over. I'm looking after you. I'm just kidding. How about this? Look at this picture. I got an awesome picture I found this week. This is awesome. We have everybody on the, on the side of the road. I'm not sure if it's a prayer, if it's a president coming by, or if it's Justin Bieber or whoever, whatever. I don't know. But listen, every single person on that picture is on their cell phone except one lady. And she is just, she's taking in that moment, right? She's not distracted by anything. She is zoned in on what's happening in that moment. And you have that one little old lady, and everybody else is trying to make their friends jealous of where they're at except her. She's taking it in. She's, she's experiencing what God has for her in that moment. And I want to tell you, like, that's us, though. That's us around her. We're, we're with our phones out. This, but, and, and I'm telling you, that has to be gone, guys, this distraction. And this is how we've evolved in, in our lives as a culture, and, and unable to enjoy a moment. And what I tell you is distractions, what it'll do is it'll make it impossible for you to be able to produce any sort of happiness or well-balanced or productive life as we're distracted. Um, in, in fact, these, get this, in, in the Middle Ages, if you, if you, if you can... Um, if you're a history buff or whatever, they would tie a person's legs to four horses on each thing, and they would pull them apart. And the French called this distraction. I'm not joking. That's, that's what they called it. But what a great picture of what's happened in our lives, right? Think about that. We're pulled in this way, this way, this way. We're pulled apart, and it's literally death by distraction. We're being pulled apart. We're not able to focus on one thing in our life. We're not able to focus on the most important thing because there's all kind of different things pulling for our attention. And if you're in here this morning, you're like, nope, I'm good. I got my flip phone. I'm good to go. Just take a quick little glance at your spouse or your best friend next to you, sitting there next to you, and they'll tell you exactly how distractible you are. And so that our friends will be able to, to help you out with that. And I'll tell you, man, um, in a culture that, I'll tell you this, ADHD, ADD, we talk about that like it's a badge of honor these days. I got ADD, I got ADHD. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a conversation where like, I'm, I'm, I'm so distracted, I, I, wear, I wear it on my sleeve. You know, I'm so distracted. There's this, there's this counselor that I'm, I, I met with for a couple of years, or maybe a year, I don't know, I can't, it's been so long now. His name's Bob, Bob, great guy. Um, and he said this, he said, distraction destroys more relationships than just about anything else, distractions. He said, distraction makes intimacy impossible. Distractions make intimacy impossible because in order for someone to feel intimate with you, to be it a spouse or a child or a good friend that's around you, they have to have three things. If someone wants to be intimate with you, if you want to have a relationship with someone, they want to feel that you consider them a priority in your life. They want to feel that you have plenty of unrushed time available for them. And then the last thing is, that you're, going to, you're giving them your undivided attention. There's no text messages or, or phone calls coming. There's no, they want to make sure that you're feeling that you have their attention you, and you ha they have your attention. Busyness and distraction, what it's going to do is it makes those things practically impossible. 
And so am I talking to anybody here this morning? Or is it just me? Okay, oh, it's just me. I was getting scared. So, so what we see is distractibility, it keeps us, it keeps our most important relationships in our life very shallow. And that's why you see so many divorces. That's why you see so many shallow friendships. You can't get deep with anybody because they're distracted by 10,000 other things. They're not focused on the moment of where you're at, what, what we're doing, where we're at. And the scariest part is it bleeds over to our relationship with God. And the enemy knows that. He knows if I can pull their attention this way, if I can pull their attention this way, or this way, or this way, they won't be as, they won't be as focused as spending time in the Word, spending time with God, memorizing Scripture, investing in their connect groups, giving, going, loving people at their church. In our culture, man, we've done something pretty funny. We, we've created this cool word that, um, for distraction that we call multitasking. Anybody here like to be multitask? Anybody be like, I'm a multitasker. Don't raise your hand because you'd be embarrassed right now. So I'm a multitasker. We think it means that we're on top of things. We're efficient. I'm efficient at a lot of things. I'm good at a lot of things. But all it really means is that we're distracted and not doing anything really well. Right? We're, 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 you know, we're a jack of all trades and an expert at none, right? We can do all these different things. And the word multitasking was invented in um, 1965 by IBM. And what it was doing, it was, it was describing how a computer could do multiple things all at once. But here's the problem is that the human mind, all of us in this room, my mind, all of us here, the human mind isn't wired like a computer because, because of something that we call consciousness. We have a conscience, consciousness in our, in our minds. The, the consciousness is designed to be in one place at one time. And when we're switching back and forth to things, different things, it takes time and it takes energy. It takes energy to go back and forth. I'll give you an example. When the average person is sitting at a desk um, doing their computer work, sending emails, whatever, doing orders, they check their email on average. This is an average study. It's, you know, every five minutes in the midst of whatever else they're doing. Every five minutes. Because they have to check if they got an email back or they have to check if someone received this or that, well, this order or that order. But the problem is this, is that it takes 64 seconds to resume the previous task after you finish with your email to zone back in. Which means that because of the email alone, we typically waste one out of every six minutes of our normal day. That's crazy. That's wild to me. I'm like, man, we're wasting so much time. And so when I hear people say that they're multitasking, all I really hear is my attention is scattered, I feel stressed out, and I don't do anything really well. So can we agree this morning that we live in a very busy and distracted culture? And if we agree with that, and I do, the sad part, and I looked at my kids last night as, we were, as I was thinking through this, is that we're teaching our children to live in a busy and distracted world. And the cycle goes on and on and on and on. And my heart this morning is that we would understand that the bottom line in all this, if we're going to live a productive, gospel-centered life, we have to learn to deal with distractions wisely. If you're going to be a, 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 a minister of the gospel, which you've been called to be, if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, if, that, if, that's, if that's where you are saying that you're at, that you have to be a gospel administrator. You, you've received it to give it. And we have to learn to deal with distractions wisely. And I'm telling you right now, the enemy's greatest tactic in this battle for souls is to distract. It means to distract you from, from your greater purpose, that you were called, what you were called for to the death, but then to destroy, distract, and destroy. Because John 10, I said it a minute ago, John 10, 10, says this, the thief comes only to steal, 
kill, and destroy. Listen to the, the fourth word in that verse. The thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly, to give it to you in full. And if we're going to reach the nations like we're talking about with the gospel, and if we're going to have to be, we're going to have to be a people and a church that's focused, focused and zoned in on exactly what God is calling us to be and to do, because I promise you, all around this room, God has created you with a purpose. And it's not hard to figure out what God's called us to because it's written down in this book. It's written down very plainly in Scripture what God has called to do on, on every page of Scripture. His will for every believer, for all of us in this room, near and far, to make much of Jesus and to spread his glory to the ends of the earth, starting with where you're planted. That's a quick, easy explanation of what God's called you to do as a believer in Jesus. To start where you're planted. And distraction is why it's such a temptation in the American church to put God in on some priority list. Because all these distractions are coming in, and I've got to fit God somewhere because everything in my life's going crazy. I've got to fit him in here. Man, I'll fit him right here when I wake up until the, until the snooze button looks tempting, you know? Like we, we put him on this priority list of things to get done. And God's not something to get done. God is a person to spend time with, to learn about. And I tell you right now, you know, it, 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 he's not something to get done. He's, he's a Lord to obey and a Savior to marvel at. Because the gospel is something to be, to be looked at over and over again throughout your life and to, be, to marvel at the gospel. The Bible talks about angels. They long to look into the gospel because they don't understand. How can the God of all creation, the God who created the planets and the universes, stoop down so low to, to humanity and love them so much to send his son to die? That's something to marvel at, not to just put on a list. And this morning, we have to understand that that it's not uncommon. Like you look around the church in, the, in America, in other countries, I'm sure too, but like we, we live in such an entitled culture. You, you hear things like, I don't have time to make disciples. I don't, I don't have time to invest in a connect group. I don't have time to go to my neighbor or reach the nations. And that, that stings to hear because all I want, all we want, all we want in here in this room, I want to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. You have the best of intentions in your life, right? I want to be a good Christian. I want to know scripture. I want to know the Bible. I want to, I want to follow all of its, its precepts and its, and its commands. I want to do those things. But as we live in the most distracted culture in the world, it becomes harder and harder and harder. And without an intentional strategy to allow the gospel to captivate our hearts and to compel us, it's going to be impossible. The culture you live in, if you don't have a strategy to follow Christ, it's going to be impossible. Because everything is, something else is going to come in and distract you. It's going, to, it's going to mess you up. And when you get to the root, man, I'm telling you, when you get to the root of all of this, distractions are an illusion that something is better and more important than the thing that you're being distracted from. Right? And if we can get real for a minute, when people are saying, I don't have time to make a disciple, I don't have time to invest in a connect group, I don't have time to invest in there, go to my neighbors or, or invest in the nations, like, if we want to get real, and I love getting real, if, we, if we're getting real with that statement, what people are really saying is I don't have time to follow Jesus. And so I, as a culture, I would just like to stop putting a, some, you know, some pretty paper around. Let's just say what it is. Like, it's, I, don't want, I don't have time to follow Jesus. I have other things to do. That's terrifying. It? You think if you read Scripture and you read that, that's terrifying. And so 
whether you know this or not, whether you've come to grips with this or not, your eyes have been opened this or not, whatever keeps you from your Bible is your enemy. Whatever it is, whatever keeps you from your Bible is your enemy, no matter how harmless it may appear. No matter how harmless it may appear, no matter how good it may appear, whatever keeps you from the word is your enemy in those moments. Whatever keeps you from prayer is your enemy. Whatever keeps you from prayer is your enemy. No matter how, no matter how good that thing may appear, whatever keeps you distracted from the mission of God being lived out in your life is your mortal enemy, is your enemy. No matter how important it may seem at the moment, we've made the gospel and following Jesus in our culture, we've made the gospel important. It's important. Like, if I went around the room, we started talking about the gospel, I, I say, is, is, the, is the gospel important? You'd be like, yeah, important. If I asked you a question, is it central to your life? That's a different question, right? Because we've made it important, but we haven't made it central. We haven't, we haven't made it central to everything else that we're doing. It's important, but it hasn't been the most important thing. Like it says it should be in, 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 in Scripture. Think about this, in a war, we have people in here that's in the military, in a war, in a battle, if you get in the middle of a gunfight, if you're in the middle of a, of a battle, an intense battle, and you get distracted by something else, what happens? You die, or you get wounded, or you get hurt, or you get taken out. If you get distracted, and, and I'm going to go here for a minute, I'm, I've never ran a race in my entire life, um, other than in elementary school, and if you run, I think you're crazy, but that's your thing, it's not my thing. So, like, if you get distracted and you lose sight of a, of a finish line, say you're in the Boston Marathon or something crazy like that, and you get distracted from the finish line, what happens? You lose because you're, you're, you're gone. You're off track. So my question this morning as we get through this sermon is, like, what, what do we do? What will you do? What will you do? What would I do? What will we do as a church? Will we just turn our heads the other way? And just keep going the way we've always been going. But I'm going to tell you right now is, is individually in this room, it's time to draw a line in the sand. Because we can't talk about reaching the nations and just keep doing what we're doing. We can't talk about going to, the, to, going to our community and just keep doing what we're doing. We can't just keep going to Connect Group and memorizing a, a couple of scriptures here and there, reading our Jesus Calling book and, and just thank you, Jesus, and going back to our day. You know, it has to be a life change. It has to be a life change, an all-encompassing gospel-centered life that's on track to see his name lifted high. My question this morning, if that's true, will you go? If you say, I'm a Christian, will you go? Because Scripture says we need to. Will you obey Scripture? Will you make disciples? Will you jump on board with God's mission of, of, and to follow Him? Will you cast off everything that hinders? Will you confess and destroy that sin that you've been playing with? It's time. And I'm going to read in Hebrews. Y'all want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, if you don't have your Bible, it's okay. We have one we'd like to give you for free. And uh, it'll be on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter, I think it's on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, if you have time today, go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith, the hall of fame of our faith. It talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all these people that, that, that did great and mighty things for God and how they were able to do it. And how they were able to do it was how? That's faith. That's faith. That's faith in God it was who he says he was. And then he starts chapter 12. Because of all that, because of all those people that have come before you, therefore, since we're surrounded by all these people, this great cloud of witness, let us, us right now in our time, in our culture, in this place, let us cast off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. Can we get an amen this morning that sin will entangle you? It will hold you back. It will hold you down. Can, 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 we, can we agree this morning that there are things in your life that have hindered you from following Jesus the way that he has called you to follow him? So this morning, he's telling us to throw it off. That, that throw off, that, that, the, the verb there is very, is very like, it's, it's, it's very violent. It's very like, get off of me because I have a direction that I'm trying to get and you're holding me up. And so this morning, that's what I want you to see, to throw it off, to, 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 to rid yourself of the sin. And then it says, it says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning and shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So keep your eyes centered and focused on Jesus, and the distractions will fade away. Because as you make much of Jesus, as you make much of who he is and what he's done, the distractions will fall away. He will become more important. The things behind you will become less important. That's the end of the series. That's, that's literally what it's about. Focus on Jesus. And my question right now after that verse, to what extent have you believed the gospel? I don't mean to be able to quote the gospel. I mean, have you taken it personally? Have you taken it personally what God has done for you through Jesus on the cross? Have you believed it to the point of action where it changes your life? Are you willing to throw off the things that hinder you even if they're things you really like? Are you willing to throw those things off? In, in attempts to follow Jesus more closely. Has Jesus, has following Christ cost you anything? Because in 1 Peter, it says it will. And what's the, what's the, what is it that is important? For, you know, why is it important for us to focus and not be distracted when it comes to the gospel? Because if you call Jesus your Lord, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus in this place this morning, you have a very, very capital very specific, direct, and unique calling on your life. You, everywhere around the room, a unique calling. And if you're distracted by the things of this world or things that only bring yourself glory, then you're, you're missing the point of the gospel and you're missing the point of what you were saved for. Because everybody in this room, we can talk all day long about the things we were saved from, right? What were you saved from? Sin. Everybody knows that. We're saved from our sins. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But few Christians know that they were saved for something also. You were saved for something also. A purpose. Declaring God's grace and goodness to the ends of the earth. Paul talks about Romans 1. If you want to turn there, we're going there next. Romans 1, 14 through 17. And we can, if you read this um, with, some, with, some, with some study in it, you'll see his eagerness and his passion and his focus is centered around the gospel. Nothing else is coming in that, that realm. It is centered on the gospel of Jesus what, he, what Jesus, what it meant for him to follow Jesus, what Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection meant for his life and the life of those people around him. He was centered on it. And so let's read that together. Romans um, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And he says, I am obligated to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you here in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. 
That's good. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he says three things. I want to, I want to touch on these real quick about the mission. I'm not ashamed of the mission. I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, in fact, I'm eager to share it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm eager to share it. And then he says, I'm under obligation to people because of it. My heart is screaming, guys. Yeah, listen, this part right here, these three verses, four verses, whatever, I can't count. These verses I just read. As a pastor, I get so irritated sometimes when someone comes up to me after a service and say, man, that's a good job. You preached a good sermon there. You're so passionate. You're so motivated. I'm like, you're missing the point. I'm like, you don't get it. Like, this is where, like, this is where as a pastor, I get, I'm like, oh my, my heart is just screaming. I want you to hear the words of the gospel and respond to them with eagerness and passion to go and to be the people that God has called you to be because there's something special inside of each person in this room that God is calling out. He's calling out so that you can be used to make disciples, to sign up to go on a mission trip, to start giving to the kingdom, to see the, to see yourself join a connect group and to get involved in the mission of God. Look what Paul is saying, verse 16, for I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. And so what I want you to see here in, in saying that I am not ashamed, Paul is indicating that some people are going to be tempted to be ashamed. Can we agree with that? In saying, so he, what he's saying is that, so what is it about the gospel that tempts people to, be, to feel ashamed? Because it's a great message. Jesus died for my sins. That's awesome. Great man. Why would I be ashamed of that? Well, Tim Keller, who is way more smart than I am, says there's four reasons modern Christians feel ashamed of the gospel. The first one is that the gospel tells us we're such spiritual failures that the only way to be saved is through a free gift. Can't earn it. That's all, that, that's, that, 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 that hits at our pride. This offends, the, this offends the moral and the, the religious people who think their decency and, and, and it gives them an advantage over the less moral people. Number two is it tells us that we're so wicked that only death of Jesus could save us. And this offends the popular belief in the innate goodness of humanity or, or that we just need to get in touch with our inner beauty, our inner selves. That, that goes against that. And it teaches us that, the third thing is that it teaches us that the so-called good and sincere people will not automatically make it to heaven. It doesn't matter how good you've been. The, the, that offends the modern notion that any nice person anywhere can find God in his own way. It says that God is, is the only one who can provide salvation. And if you're going to receive it, you have to do it his way, which is by Jesus. That's what it says in Scripture. And the fourth and final thing Keller says is the gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished, finished, done, everything by Jesus' suffering and serving, and we should expect the same in following him. And this offends people who want salvation to be easy and comfortable. Because it's not always easy, it's not always comfortable. And these four things of this message will not be popular with modern people. And to be unashamed, to be unashamed of the gospel means you recognize and you, and you proclaim it faithfully anyway. You recognize that as unpopular, but you proclaim it and you follow it faithfully. Paul says, I know this message offends all of us, but I'm not ashamed of it because I know it and it alone contains the power of new life to see the nations reached. Paul says you might not like the message, but it's the only one that connects you to the power of God. 
Who knows what a rotary phone is? I used to have one in my grandma's house, and I would always try to call my girlfriend. And if I had hit one number wrong, guess what? It wasn't my girlfriend. It, it wasn't. It, she, it, the person didn't look like my girlfriend, and sometimes it might have been a man. I don't know. Listen, there's one number that can reach her. And it's the same way with the gospel. You might not like the message. You might not like the number, but it's the only one that connects you with the power of God. He said, I am not ashamed of it. But even more than that, what does he say in verse 15? He says, I'm, I'm, eager to preach the, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. I'm eager to give the message to you. Paul says, I've, I've felt the gospel's power in my life. It's changed my life, and I know it's the only power and the hope of salvation, so I want to give it to you. I want you to have it. I want to get it to you. And this is how I want us to feel as a community, man. Like, as a church, I want us to feel this way about the people outside these doors. I don't want this to be a safe haven. We come in and, and slap some five high, high fives and be like, you know, this is a beautiful building. This is great. Look at the big, uh, uh, it's all about Jesus on the wall. That's awesome. Let's take some pictures around. That's not what I want us to care about. I want this to be a tool that we use to be energized, equipped, and sent out. That's what we're called to do in this place. It's how, it's how I feel about our church, man. Why we push so hard to be effective is there needs to be a passion for the gospel and the results will follow. You know, you'd, ask me, you'd ask me, why do we want to plant churches? Why do we want to be a church that plant churches? Don't we have people enough here that we need to minister to? Why, why do we put emphasis on honoring God with our treasures, our time, and our talent? Why do we want to send missionaries to the nations? Because the gospel is the most important message that's ever been told and needs to be sent out. Paul said, and Paul said it in, in, in here, he said, it's the power of God for salvation. I want it to be in my preaching. Everything that comes out of my mouth, I want the gospel to be infiltrating every single word. I love preaching deep things. I love, let's have a, let's have a debate about predestination. Let's talk about all that stuff. I love talking about that stuff, but the gospel is, 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 is king. The gospel is the most important thing. More than any of those things, I want to win people to Jesus and equip you and equip them to equip others and to love others and to reach others. I feel like Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite heroes in the faith, he said this, if my heroes are not converted, I've wasted my time. I've lost the exercise of my brain and my heart. I feel as if I lost my hope and lost my life unless I find for my Lord some of his blood-bought ones. I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unpack all the divine mysteries in the world. So my question, my, not my question, I, I'm, I said it too much, sorry. So don't, don't come argue with me or anybody else in this room about predestination or any kind, of, any kind of theological debate if you haven't shared Christ with somebody this year. Don't do that because you're missing the point. The opposite of, of being ashamed of the gospel is not being a, I'm proud to be a Christian. Man, I love Jesus, man, I'm proud. It's possessing an eagerness to share it. I want to go and share what I've learned, what I know about Jesus. It leads to the last thing Paul says. He says, I'm obligated. I'm obligated. And we've talked about this here before is, you know, the word obligation in this, in this tense, it means debtor. It means to be a debtor. But you read this and you're like, Paul, you never even met these people. What do you owe them? How can you feel under obligation to these people if you've never met them? And so as I read, as I, as I look through Scripture, I see, I see two different um, definitions of being a debtor. One is you owe somebody money, right? You buy, I borrowed money from you, I owe you some money. I'm in debt to you, right? Yes? Okay, all right, cool. All right, the second thing is you're giving money for someone else. Say you work for Compassion International and someone had given you a huge donation of a million dollars. 
What would someone think of you if you decided that you're just gonna stash that money away for a while? Right? They'd think you're a pretty bad person. That's not your money, and you owe it to others to share that money because it's been given to you to give to somebody else. And it's the same way with the gospel. To give it away was the very reason it was given to you. To give it away was the very reason that God opened your heart to receive salvation, that he led you to himself. And that's what God tells us about the gospel message. You are no more worthy of the gospel than anyone else around the world, including the worst terrorists that you've ever met. You're not more worthy of it than anybody else, and he's given it to you as a gift. God blessed you with it. And with the privilege of hearing the gospel, always comes the responsibility of sharing the gospel. And to not do that, literally by definition of this verse, is stealing. You've taken the gospel and you've hoarded it and you haven't given it. You're stealing it. So this morning, guys, as we're reading this, as, as, as we're talking about distraction, do you see why Satan wants to distract us? Do you see why he wants to take us off the game? Because when you realize how much you owe others, how unworthy you were to hear the gospel, and how much you owe Christ and giving it to you, it changes how you look at your life, man. You start to look at your ambitions, your dreams, your goals, your family, and your resources differently. You start to say, God, all of me for all of you because you didn't hold your son back in when you gave him for me. You start to look at all those things differently. You become very aware of the things that are distracting you. No, I'm throwing them. I'm, I'm, I'm casting off these things. I'm walking out of sin. I'm saying yes to Jesus. You become aware of these things. And so you see why he wants to distract you and destroy you. You start seeing the gospel as, 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 as the most centered thing in your life. You start making gospel-centered decisions to see his will be done through you. That's what it's about, man. And, and it means... It might mean your family this morning, you'll be one of our church plant teams that we send out to other cities in the future, in the, in the, in the distant future. You might be one of the people that we send out to another city in our, in our country, in our area, to, to plant the next church. It might be you. You might be like, that's weird. No, I'm saying God might lead you to do that. It would be awesome. It might mean your family moved to another country around the globe where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed to reach an unreached people group. We sent out of this place to go. I'm going to tell you right now, we're praying you out of here, by the way. Like, we want you to go. We want you to go to the nations. We want you to go to these cities that need, need the gospel. And when the gospel, and it says it here, the power of God for salvation captivates your heart, it changes you. And this morning, if you're here this morning, you're like, well, I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. I don't know if I've ever, I, I walked an aisle when I was eight. You know, I, I raised my hand at VBS. You know, if it hasn't changed you, it probably wasn't the gospel that you're following. It changes your plans. It changes your goals, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. But most importantly, it changes your heart. And my question for you this morning is for some of you guys who know Jesus, who know the gospel and are following Jesus, as we're wrapping up here this morning right now, has this just been some social statement where you said, I'm a Christian? My mom's a Christian. My grandpa and him are Christians. I'm a Christian. Or is it real to you? Is it about behavior modifications or, or being morally good? Has it changed your heart? Has it changed your life? Is there spiritual fruit evident in your life? Don't let the enemy lie to you right now. Kill and steal and destroy anything else in your heart or your life. Has he stolen something from you, though, that, 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 through the distraction that he's placed in your life, Christian? Have you become distracted by things that don't even really matter in the end? Because I tell you right now, when you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, 
all the things you're giving your time and your money and your energy to right now is going to seem very unimportant. It's going to be like, shouldn't have given, shouldn't have, this is, this is a little scary, you know? It's, it's, it's going to be different. And it's something in your life taking your first and your best that was meant for Jesus. If so, Hebrews 12 says, kill it. Destroy it. Throw it off. Move away from it. Don't let anything distract you from the mission of God. And this needs to be our prayer this morning, Christian. God, interrupt whatever I'm doing so that I can join you in what you're doing. God, interrupt whatever I'm doing so that I can join you in what you're doing. Because what you're doing is way more important than what I'm doing. For the rest of us, man, who aren't saved, this morning you might have realized, man, that ain't the gospel I heard. Maybe you realize that, you know, this, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. We got people that want to pray for you. In a second, we're going to have our prayer team come up here in the front. And all you literally have to do, you can raise your hand. You can come up and talk to them. We have a place you can go pray in the back. It won't be as awkward if if that's what you're feeling like. But what I want to tell you is God took a bold step in sending his son Jesus to die for you. We want to ask you to take a bold step in following him today if you've never done that. If it's time to get serious this morning, if that's you, do you know Jesus today? Not about Jesus, not, not facts about him. Do you know him? And if you don't, it's time to take that step. Do you know the gospel? Have you understood the weight of the gospel? Have you understood the weight of the gospel? The prayer team would go ahead and come. That'd be great. Have you been changed by the gospel? Has the new creation come? Has it changed your priorities, your life direction? Has the message of the cross become real to you? Or has it just been a Christmas story, an Easter story? What, what, what is it? Has the message become real? Or have you become so distracted by things that the, the, the gospel is just un, un, uninteresting? It's just another thing that you hear about on Sundays when you go to church once a week. Guys, Paul said it's the power of God for salvation. In Hebrews, it says the angels who saw God create the heavens and the earth and just explode universes across the sky and then lit stars with his hands and put planets in motion. He said the angels saw that and the gospel is what amazes them most. Isn't that amazing? They see the glory of God all day, every day, but the gospel is what amazes them. So it has to be important to us. And so this morning, guys, don't wait another day. Don't play games with this. If that's you this morning, if you've never received Jesus into your heart, if you've never said yes to him and said, Lord, I, I need you. I need you as my Lord, not as my good luck charmer, not as my homeboy, and not as somebody that I just pray to every now and then. I need you as my Lord. That's you this morning. I want to ask you to raise your hand and we want to pray with you. We want to walk with you down that path. And if, if right now is not the time, these guys will be standing here through the next song. But if it's you, I want to tell you right now this morning, it's, it's time. Today's the day of salvation. So let me pray for us. We're going to sing another song. And while we're doing that, do not ignore the move of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because what happens when you ignore that move is it becomes harder and harder to hear as you live your life. And so come, pray, lay things down at this altar. Come grab one of these guys. They are crying and dying to pray with you. Literally every day we meet at 930 in the back. They're like, they want to to, to invest in your life. So let me pray for us. God, we love you. I thank you for what you've done and who you are. I thank you for loving us to the point of death. God, I thank you for loving us to, even when we didn't deserve it. God, I pray for healing in this room. I pray for chains to fall off. I pray for hearts to be mended, God. I pray for your will to be done in this place. Lord, don't let us leave the same, Father. Let us be a church with great influence, Father. 
Raise up people in this place. God, change hearts this morning. God, soften our hearts. Kill pride. Lord, kill pride. Make us humble. Lord, we love you. It's your name I pray.